lesson tonight, dying to live, dying to live, and hopefully you'll see that as we get into this, and we're going to cover the entire 23 verses, so a lot of times I'll read as a text, but just wanted you to know that the text tonight is the entire chapter, and so as we'll get into that, I want you to notice, now we had finished, concluded Romans chapter number 5 last week. And as you look at the beginning of Romans chapter number 6, look at verse number 1. The Bible says, what shall we say then? Now, we don't have time to go back tonight and, and, and rehash everything we looked at in chapter number 5. We talked about uh, this matter of our justification, our standing with God, the whole series about having a right standing with God. But when you come to chapter 6, it's really a continuation of what Paul wrote there in Romans chapter number 5, and the, and the question is, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in what? Sin. And the answer here is that grace may abound. And what's the first two words of chapter 6, verse 2? God forbid. Now, when you think about these, these words here in chapter number 6, if I can just give you a little bit of history where we've come from when we began our series, going through the book of Romans, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, those first three chapters, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, were chapters that we talked about how the Bible identifies the fact that we are all sinners and that we are all lost. Uh, we talked about the, the heathen and the hypocrite and the Hebrew, how all of us are lost. When we got to Romans chapters 4 and 5, the Bible identifies the fact that, that although we're lost because of what Jesus did for us, that Romans 4 and 5 basically teach that we who are saved are now in Christ. Okay, Romans chapters 4 and chapter 5, we're in Christ. Now, when we step into Romans 6, and of course we'll look at 6 tonight, 7, and then 8, those three chapters, Romans 6 through 8, teach us not only are we in Christ, but watch this, Christ is in us. That's a wonderful thought when you think about this, because these chapters deal with our sanctification. Let's see, we're justified when we are saved, and once we are saved, we begin that new life with Christ, then it's this matter of we are being saved, and one day we shall be glorified and we'll be in the presence of the Lord. So when we get to these chapters, what Paul is writing here, what he is showing us, and he has already showed to us, is how we are guilty of sin. And then he covered the matter of why we are guilty of sin. And now when we get to Romans chapter number 6, he shows us how that we can have the victory over sin. Anybody else besides the Apostle Paul and me struggle from time to time in your life? I mean, folks, listen, as long as we're in this world, as long as we're in this flesh, we are going to have times that we're going to struggle. And the foundation of our sanctification, here it is, is knowing that we are dead to sin. Let me say that again. The foundation of our sanctification is that we know, K-N-O-W, that we are dead to sin. 
See, some Christians have yet to come to that realization that now that I am in Christ and Christ is in me, that I am dead to sin. And we're going to see this as we get into this study of Romans chapter number 6. Now, Romans chapter 5, again, trying to help us understand where we're at. In Romans 5, the Bible teaches that Christ died for us. He took our place. He died for us. When we come to chapter number 6, we learn, listen to this. Not only did he die for us, but we died with him. According to the word of God. The purpose of this chapter then, sanctification, is to help us to understand that God has given us the freedom now that we are dead to sin, that we are in Christ. We have the freedom to serve Christ. Those that were in Rome that Paul was writing to, in other words, you have to understand when I say Roman Christians, those that he's writing to, they they did not really understand two concepts, and a lot of people still struggle with these two concepts today, and that is this matter of law and grace. A lot of people struggle with those two words. Uh, and, And these individuals, just like so many today, they were going to extremes in their day, and people still today go through extremes. And here's the extremes. Some are legalistic on one hand, and the other are leaning towards license. Now, I'll explain those terms a little bit if they're new to you, but again, uh, many people believe that they can keep the law, they can do everything that the law dictates, and other people have this notion, this feeling that, that listen, that once saved, always saved, so listen, I've got my ticket to heaven, I can live like I want to. They're abusing the grace of God. They need to understand that there will be a reckoning day with God. So how can a believer, a, a, a saved person, as Paul is writing here in chapter 6, how can a believer attain victory over sin? How many of you think that would be something good for us to know, right? How in the world can I get victory in my life? This, this one sin, the Bible talks about the, 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 the besetting sin, the sin that does so easily beset us. The Bible tells us to lay aside every weight, you know, you think about in our lives, so many times things just keep coming up. We allow sin to have its way in our lives. And so what he's writing here in chapter 6 will help us three ways. And every one of us need to get a hold of these. Notice the first one, as Paul writes here, and he discusses this matter of that we can get victory over sin with the mind. Now the way we do that is the word here, we can know. That's a great Bible word, K-N-O-W. Uh, the, the word is gnosis. Uh, you think about uh, so many things. Knowledge comes from this word, to know. And, and there are people today that are agnostic. Uh, there, there are so many things. But when you get to Romans chapter number 6, you actually find in verse number 1, look at it. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we con- continue in sin that grace may abound? And then, and then in verse number, verse number uh, 6, the Bible says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Verse 9, knowing this, he says, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath, notice this, no more 
dominion over him. That's pretty definitive when you look at those words. Now, here's what I see is that that repetition, what God is saying is, is that he wants us to know, he wants us to understand a particular doctrine that he's teaching here. And the doctrine that he's trying to get across deals with our Christian living. Because, listen, once we're saved, we're a child of God, the way we live our life matters. See, some people say, well, it doesn't matter because I'm a Christian and they shouldn't be watching me. But listen, our lives, we may be the only Bible that some people ever read. They're watching you. They're watching me. Christian living, write it down, depends on Christian learning. You're going to live from what you learn. That's why it's important to stay off the internet and stay in the Bible. See, see, look at this. Duty, what we do, is always founded on doctrine. The things that I do, when people ask me, Pastor, why do you do things this way? Why, why do you, in your life, why do you do this? A lot of times I'll just say to them, because the Bible teaches, and then whatever it is, I will go to the Word of God. I try to live a principled life according to the Word of God, the doctrines of the Word of God. But here's the truth is, is that if Satan can keep a Christian ignorant, and ignorant means to have no knowledge of something. If Satan can keep us ignorant as a Christian, then he can keep us impotent as a Christian. In other words, we will not have victory in our lives as a Christian, but that's why it's important for us to not claim ignorance, but we need to study the Word of God. We need to know what it is that we believe. You need to know the doctrines of the Word of God. And he says here, with the mind we can know. The basic truth that Paul was teaching in Romans chapter 6 as he gets started is this, the believer's identification with Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That is what he is stressing as he starts Romans chapter number 6. See, just as we were identified, we have what the Bible calls this Adamic nature. See, we're all born in sin. It's part of our nature. Nobody has to teach us how to do something wrong. So what does that mean? That means that every one of us, by birth, by physical birth, we identify with Adam in sin and condemnation. And so now that we have been saved, now that we've been justified, this matter of sanctification, we are now identifying with Christ in his righteousness and this matter of justification. Look what it says as you think about how we used to be identified with Adam. Look at Romans chapter 5 there, and you know it's verse number 12. Look at this, wherefore as by one man, who's that? Adam. The Bible says sin entered into the world and death by sin, and here's the problem, death passed upon who? All men. And the Bible says for all, that all have sinned. So when you think about what he's talking about here, notice in, in chapter number 5, verse number 12, the verse we just looked at, he, he says here, for as by one man, notice here, it doesn't say sins, it says sin. Everybody see the word? It's not plural, it's singular. He writes sin entered into the world. He moves from the actions of people, of human beings, to the principle. He moves from the fruit to the very root. See, here's, here's the truth. Jesus not only died for our sins, but he also died unto sin. And we died with him. 
In other words, we died unto sin. Again, look back in chapter 6, verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that, the gra- that God's grace may abound? God forbid. See, as we think about what Jesus did for us, he died for our sins, and he died unto sin, and we died with him. Justification by faith is not simply a legal matter between me and God. It's actually, justification is a living relationship. You see, my life in Christ, it's something that is living, it's alive. Whatever happened to Christ, listen to this, happened to me, happened to you as believers. So in other words, when he died, guess what happened? We died. When he rose, we rose. As as we consider his life, the Bible says that we who are saved, that we are now seated in the heavenlies. That's what the word of God tells us. Now, I know we're still on this earth, but see, we already have a home in heaven. Uh, God's already preparing a place for us because of this living relationship, this living union with Christ, the believer now has a totally, listen, a totally new relationship to sin. See, it's not, it should not be like it was before. Why? Everything has changed because of Jesus, because of what he's done for us. So as you think about this matter of with the mind, we can know, well, what is it that we can know? Look at the first thing I see. First of all, that we are dead to sin. You just need to settle it in your mind, in your heart. You need to know this. According to the word of God, we are dead to sin. Look back in in chapter number six, verse number two. The Bible says, God forbid, how shall we that are, what's those next three words? Romans chapter six, verse two, look at it. God forbid, how shall we that are what? Dead to sin live any longer therein. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his what? His resurrection. So when I look at this, Paul is using an illustration here to illustrate the matter of that we are dead to sin. And the illustration that he uses literally and figuratively is he uses the illustration of baptism. Now the mode of baptism, you study it out historically and scripturally, you'll find that the early church believe that the mode of baptism, the way we baptize, is by immersion. The very word that is used when it comes to baptizing means to place under. And there's a lot of churches, a lot of religions that have tried various means of baptism, and sprinkling and baptizing infants and so on. But again, the Bible teaches that there's salvation or justification, and then there is scriptural baptism that follows that. And as we think about this illustration that Paul is using here, the Bible says that we as believers, we were buried with him. And when somebody goes into the baptistry, like the one behind me, what do they do? They go into the water, they go under the water, they come up out of the water. It's a beautiful picture. 
because we, are, we have been brought up together. It's a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think it's a good thing. We're going to have a neat baptism, Lord willing, this coming Sunday. How many of you know who uh, Jimmy Sherrill's son is? Jimmy asked his mom three weeks ago if he could get baptized. We're going to baptize Jimmy without the wheelchair. You know, but we're going to get him into the baptistry. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. That's exciting that that young man said to his mom, Mom, I want to get baptized. I mean, you think about it. I would have, honestly, so many people that, that could easily get baptized don't want to get baptized. And here's a little boy with all these things going on in his life. And he says, I want to do what God would have me to do. And he wants to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Now, this outward symbol that we're talking about, Paul's writing about here in chapter 6, of baptism by immersion, listen to me, that, that immersion, that baptism that he's illustrating that baptism did not put them into Jesus Christ. See, a lot of people teach baptismal regeneration. That if you're baptized, you're going to heaven. I tell people sometimes when people go through the baptistry, the only thing that happens is they get wet. Because baptism doesn't put a person into Christ. Look in your notes, Galatians 3, verse 26. The Bible says, ye are all the children of God, look at these words, by faith in Christ Jesus. How are you saved? By faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Verse 27 of Galatians 3, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, he says, have put on Christ. So being put into Christ, this is Bible terminology, was to, this is something that was accomplished by the Holy Spirit of God as people believe by faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 13. For by one Spirit, one Spirit, capital S, are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. So their immersion, this picture here, is a picture of what the Spirit did when we got saved and we were baptized into Christ. The Spirit identified us with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now, what does this mean for us? This means that the believer now has a new relationship to sin. What is that relationship? That we are dead to sin. Like as Christ was, uh, was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again, same thing has happened to us as believers in Christ. So we, with the mind, should know that we are dead to sin. But then notice Paul goes on to say, secondly, we should know that we should not serve sin. Now, a lot of Christians struggle with this one. Sin is a terrible master. It really is. I, I have seen the effects of sin in people's lives. And what sin does is it, it usually finds a willing servant in the human body. Oftentimes, people will, will allow their body to serve sin. The body itself, when you study the body that God has given to us, the body is not sinful. As a matter of fact, the body God has given to us, it's neutral, but it can be controlled by either sin or by God. You can decide if you're going to serve God 
or you're going to serve sin. God allows us to make a choice, and man's fallen nature gives sin this base from which it can, it can attack and control. This is something that, as, as we'll get next week to Romans chapter number 7, Paul understood this very, very well. Matter of fact, look at one verse from Romans 7 there in your notes, Romans 7, 18, or if you have your Bible, you can look at the verse. He writes here, for I know that, notice this, in me. See the words? Paul says, this is something in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth what? No good thing. He didn't say some good things. Paul says, I know, this is the, the great Christian, the Apostle Paul. He says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will. It's present with me. I, I want to serve God. I want to do things that are pleasing to God. But notice he writes on, but how to perform that which is good? He says, I find not. Now, there's much more to that story, but that, that just gives us a glimpse of where we're going next week. But understand, as we look at this, the problem is, is that sin is a terrible master. A tremendous fact is being introduced here in Romans chapter number 6. And here it is, that the old man, this is who we were before we got saved, the old nature, the old man was crucified with Christ so that the body needs not to be controlled by sin. Look at it again in verse number 6. He says in the last part of verse 6, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, from that point on, we should not serve what? Sin. So when he writes this, and he talks about this matter of destroyed, he uses the word destroyed. The word destroyed is an interesting word. It does not mean that it has been annihilated. As a matter of fact, the word destroyed means to, it's been rendered inactive. It is made of no effect. Now, one good illustration using the same word is if you have your Bible, look there in Romans 7. It may be across the page or next page. But look at verse number 2 in Romans chapter number 7. And I want you to understand this word that he uses here, destroyed, talking about something that's rendered inactive, made of none effect. Because we are dead to sin, but we are to not serve sin either. So look what it says here when it deals with it in Romans 7, 2. The illustration here is the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be what? Dead. Notice this word. She is what? She's loosed from the law of her husband. Now what this verse is teaching, it. by the way, the word loosed is the same word that you find in Romans 6 as the word destroyed. It's the very same word. And what the Bible is teaching here is that if this woman's husband dies, okay, she's married to him, he dies, according to this, she is loosed from the law of her husband. She is free then to marry again. Now, when you consider that, it teaches us that there's a change in the relationship. Her husband that she was married to, that was alive, he has died. There's a change in the relationship. See, the law, 
that she was bound to her husband, the law is still there, is it not? The law is still there. The only thing is, is that the law, it, it has no authority over the woman. Why? Because her husband is dead. So when you look at this, sin in our lives, sin wants to be our master. Sin wants to control you. It wants to have its way in your life. It finds a foothold in our old nature, and it is through that old nature that sin kind of, it, it tries to seek the, to control the members of our body. It has its way in many of our lives, but in Jesus Christ, we died to sin. The old was crucified so that the old life, same word, is rendered inoperative, or in other words, we are loosed from it. Everybody getting the picture? And so this is what he's teaching here, that the believer died with Jesus, and therefore we are freed from sin, not freed to sin. Did you hear what I said? We're freed from sin, but we are not freed to sin. There was a discussion after the service this morning, and somebody made a comment to someone else, and it was along this very same lines, which goes back to this matter of license, that the man believes that because he is saved, that he can do some very wicked things, and there's no problem with it. See, according to this passage and other places in the Word of God, yes, because of what Jesus did for us, we are freed from sin, but we are not free to sin. We need to understand this in our lives, that with the mind we can know that we are dead to sin, but we also can know that we should not serve sin. Sin and death have no dominion over Christ. Is that correct? Sin and death have no dominion over Christ. Is that correct? Okay, so if sin and death have no dominion over Christ, and we are in Christ, should sin and death have dominion over us? No, not according to the word of God. Jesus not only paid the penalty for sin, but Jesus broke the power of sin. Look at Romans 5, 17. Maybe it's there in your notes, or you can look over chapter 5, verse 17. For if by one man's offense, who's that one man again? Adam. Look at this. Death reigned by one. Death. Much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. And the Bible is clear here. Who is that one? Jesus Christ. So through Christ, according to Romans 5, 17, through Christ, we reign in life. Why? So that sin no longer controls our life. So many people say, Pastor, you just don't understand what I'm going through. Well, sometimes I can, but sometimes it's very clear that we are allowing sin to have its way in our lives. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of letting sin have its way. I want to live a victorious Christian life. And so one way that Paul writing here to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how we can have victory. And the mind is, a, is something that, that the devil knows that this is, a, this is an area that if he can get into our minds, that's why it's important for us to know what we believe. That's why when you start the book of Romans, the first eight chapters all deal with doctrine. 
Because we have to know who we are and what we believe. And what he's teaching here as he begins Romans 6 is that we have to know with our minds that we are dead to sin and that we who are dead to sin should no longer serve sin. Everybody with me so far? It's more of a study tonight than a, than a, than a message, a preaching message. But listen, it's right out of the pages of Romans chapter number 6. So with the mind, we can know. Notice secondly tonight, with the heart, we can reckon. With the heart, we can reckon. Look at verse number 11 in Romans chapter number 6. The Bible says here, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now in some parts of the country, probably more the south than anywhere else, the word reckon sometimes means I think or I guess or I suppose. Anybody grow up in one of those parts of the country where somebody might be looking at something and he'd say, well, I reckon I'll give you about $4 for it, you know? And they kind of think about it, they, they suppose, and, and it can be used that way because sometimes people will use the word reckon in that sense. But here in Romans chapter number six, the word reckon means something quite differently. It means to put to one's account. So when we study this particular chapter and we see that he moves from the, from the mind to the heart, he, he now talks about how that we can reckon, we can put to one's account. It means to believe, listen to this, to believe what God says is true in his word and that what he says is really true in your life. Now, did you get that? Because a lot of times people say, well, I believe the Bible. And then you listen to them or you see how they're living their life and it doesn't match up to the word of God. Many people live one way and think that they are living according to the Word of God, but they're living totally contradictory to the Word of God. And remember, the Bible says, out of the heart comes the issues of life. So when we think about this, every one of us, we need to believe what God says is true in His Word, but we need to believe that is true, really true in our lives. This matter of reckoning is a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith that results in, in action. Uh, here's an illustration. If, if I was going to endorse a check, put my name on a check, if we really believe the money is in the checking account, then I won't have a problem signing my name and collecting that money. Reckoning is not claiming a promise. It's acting on a fact is what it is. So God doesn't command us you can't find it in the word of god god doesn't command us to become dead to sin when you study the bible here's what you find is god is telling us that we are dead to sin and that we are alive unto him galatians 2 19 for though uh, for i through the law am dead to the law that i might live unto god see understand that our lives not only are we in Christ, but Christ is in us. If we want to have victory, then listen, it's, it, one of the places is the mind. We have to know what we believe, and we have to know that we are dead to sin and that we should no longer serve sin. And then with the heart, we need to reckon that what God says 
listen, just settle it right now. That what God says in his word is true, that it is true in your life. But then notice the third area tonight, because he talks about the mind, he talks about the heart, but the third area of our life is with the will. And when it comes to the will, notice here that we can yield in areas in our lives, because to yield means to place at one's disposal. It, it deals with this matter of that we are offering ourselves as a sacrifice. Most of us know Romans 12:1, right? Do you know the verse? I think you have it there. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, it's written to Christians, that by the mercies of God that you present your what? Bodies. What kind of sacrifice? A living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, when you study the Old Testament, the Old Testament sacrifices were not living. Now, they were to the point that they became a sacrifice, but they were, they were, they were killed. The blood was spilt. They were dead sacrifices. But God says to us, who are dead to sin, who should not serve sin, that when it comes to our bodies, he's talking about the will, and he says we must yield ourselves, we must present ourselves a living sacrifice. I mean, the Lord, in our life, and you probably have in your lifetime, read or seen accounts of some of what we call the martyrs. How many of you have read or, or know some of the accounts of some of the martyrs of days gone by? What is a martyr? It's somebody who gives their life for the cause of Christ. They believe the Bible to be true in, in their lives. And because, like those in the days of the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, they were martyred for their faith. Now, th there may come a time in our lives or in our lifetime that God may want some of us to to give our lives, to be a sacrifice for God. But I'll tell you one thing that God is asking all of us to do. God may not ask all of us to die for him, but here's the, here's the truth tonight. He is asking all of us to live for him. Every one of us. If, if that was not true, then when you got saved, God would have taken you home. But God's left us here for a reason, and that is from henceforth, from the time we got saved, that we should live for him, that our lives should bring him glory, and that he should be honored and glorified through our, our lives. So notice here, with the will, we can yield. Now, a couple questions, letter A, how then are we to yield? Look at verse number 12 of Romans 6. The Bible says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now, you look at your, how many, how many arms do you have? Two. How many legs? How many fingers? Some of you had to think. How many toes? Ten. These are all members of our body, right? And when you think about the church, what is the church? The church is a body. Who's the head of the body? Christ. 
So we are all parts or members of the body. Every member is important. There's not one member that is more important than the other member. The only thing that is important when it comes to the body is the head. Because the head is Jesus Christ. So when you consider our life and this matter of our will will, and this matter of yielding ourselves, when we yield, it's an act of the will, but it's based on, going back to what we started with, it's based on the knowledge of what Christ has done for us. Look, don't ever get over your salvation. Don't ever get over the cross. Don't ever forget about what Jesus did and where you would still be heading if it wasn't for what Jesus did for you. So as we think about yielding ourselves, Romans 12:1, that verse that we looked at, brother and I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, that is describing a once for all surrender. Once for all. Not just a one time a once-for-all surrender. It's a final, complete surrender of the body to Christ. Hey, there are verses in the Bible that say that we have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Why? Because it's no longer yours. It's His. You see, many times we even do what we want with our body. And it boils down to a matter of the will. Are we going to yield to what God wants for us? And uh, certainly when you think about surrendering ourselves to Jesus, it doesn't mean that we're not going to have further steps of surrender in our lives. But the longer that you and I uh, walk together with the Lord and having this relationship with him, the deeper our fellowship will become. I mean, you think about where the disciples went from when they met Jesus, when he called them out to where they got to when Jesus ascended to be with the Father. Their relationship deepened. The more time you spend in the Bible, the more time you spend getting to know him, the deeper your relationship is going to go with him. So you'll understand when he wants us to yield our bodies unto him, look at it again, present your bodies a living sacrifice. So the the question begs tonight, why does the Lord want our bodies? A good place to go there in your notes, 1 Corinthians 6, look at verse 19. What know ye not that your body is the temple of what? Of the Holy Ghost which is in you. Which ye have of God, you're not your own, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. So in other words, what is Paul saying to those in Corinth? That we as believers, that our body is God's. It's God's tool and it's God's weapon. God wants to use you and God wants to use me. God's given us this this tabernacle and the Holy Spirit of God lives in us and God wants to use the members. That's what he says here. Uh, Look at it again in verse 13. Neither yield ye your members... Don't allow your members to become instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But he says, yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members, here it is, as instruments of 
righteousness unto God. So he wants to use the members of our body. Why? To build his kingdom, to, to fight against the enemies of the church, the enemies of the cause of Christ. Hey, you can find in the word of God a lot, but I'll give you a few tonight, some biblical examples of people in the word of God who permitted God to take their bodies and to use them for his purposes. How about this tonight? God used the rod in Moses' hand to conquer Egypt. David, in his life, God used the sling in David's hand to do what? To defeat the Philistine. God used the mouths and the tongues of the prophets and John the Baptist in their day. God used John's eyes as he saw the revelation and the future visions of things yet to come. And God used Paul's feet to carry the gospel from city to city in his day. In other words, there are many examples of people who yielded, who presented their bodies a, watch this, not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. Don't you want to be used by God? Well, you can't be used by God if you are a slave to sin. So you've got to know that you are dead to sin and that you should not serve sin. And with your heart, you can understand that what God says in his word is true and that you need to believe it is true even in your own life. And then with the will, the Bible says that we can yield to what God would have us to do with our bodies. Now, notice then, why are we to yield? Three reasons, and we're done tonight. Number one, we yield to have favor. Look, look again in chapter uh, 6, verse number 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. See, we have favor because of God's grace, and because of God's grace, we yield to Him. God has extended his great grace towards us. And the fact that we are saved by grace does not give us an excuse to sin. As a matter of fact, it gives us a reason to obey him. Look, I, I know what my life was before the Lord. And after God saved me, it is, Lord, what would you have me to do? It's not for me to say what I want to do. It's me to yield. Why? Because I want God's favor in my life. I want God's blessings. And so we yield to have favor. Secondly, we yield to have freedom. Drop down to verse 16 in our passage. The Bible says, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, look at this, to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. The Bible goes on in verse 18, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of what? Of righteousness. He says in verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants 
to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. He says, look, you have served sin for so long. Can you imagine, think about this for just a little bit with me tonight. The children of Israel were in the land of Egypt in bondage for some 430 years. They were in bondage for so long that when God freed them, they literally didn't know what to do, how to live their lives. Sometimes you see it, I haven't known anybody personally, but a lot of times you hear testimonies of people that have been in prison for years for some crime they committed. And sometimes maybe they, 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 they find out or they try the case again years later and they realize that they, they were not guilty of the crime and so they release them from prison for whatever reason and they get out of prison, they go into society and they don't have a clue what to do. And when you look at this matter of, of yielding ourselves, the Bible says we yield ourselves to have freedom. Whatever you yield to, whatever you yield to, that that you yield to becomes your master. A lot of people, their lives are spent on this or that. Why? Because that's what they yield themselves to. Some were not in church today. Why? Because they have yielded themselves to whatever it was that kept them from being in church today. That, whatever that thing is, it's become their master. Jesus addressed this in Matthew 6. Look at verse 24. No man can serve two masters. That's why you only have one wife. I, listen, God's given me a wonderful wife. I can't imagine to have two of them. I love the one that I have, but he says, either you will hate the one, love the other, or else you will hold to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. A lot of Christians want to straddle the fence. But again, whatever you yield to becomes your master. Before you got saved, the Bible says we were a slave to sin. But now that we belong to Christ, we are freed from that life of sin, that slavery to sin. But watch this. Now, a lot of people don't understand this, but this is what the Word of God teaches we have been freed from a life of sin, and we are now made the servant of Christ. Now, some people say, well, that's why I don't want to be a Christian, because I don't want to be a slave to Christ. Hey, listen, the Lord is a wonderful master. God doesn't do anything to hurt us. Matter of fact, everything he does, he does to help us. I, I could, listen, you're never going to hear me complaining about what God has me do in my life. I think about over the last 35 years, all the things that I've been allowed to do and places to go and people to meet and things that I've gone through, all because of Jesus. See, the Bible teaches that we are freed from that old life of sin, being a slave to sin. We're made a servant of Christ. Here's a great verse. Look at this in your notes, 1 Corinthians 7, 22. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant is the Lord's, look at that word, freeman. Likewise also, he that is called being free is Christ's servant. So why do we yield? Well, the Bible teaches we yield to have favor with God. Secondly, we yield our bodies to have freedom. And thirdly, we yield to have fruit. Now look, look at these last couple of verses, verse 21. The Bible says, what fruit 
had ye then, in those things whereof ye are now ashamed. Anybody remember their past? Remember things you did that you don't want to tell anybody about now? See, that's, that's what sin does. It brings shame in our lives. We're ashamed. We don't want to think about our past. And he says here, what fruit, what, what came of your life, those things whereof you're now ashamed. For the end of those things is what? It's death. Verse 22, I love the first two words. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit, big difference, unto holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is what? It's death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, how many of you have witnessed to somebody and have used what they oftentimes call the Romans road, or you have used this verse, verse 23, as you've been witnessing to people? It brings, the whole, brings that verse into a whole new light when you look at the context of where that verse sits. Because when you look at it, he's talking about that we are yielding ourselves so that we are going to have fruit in our lives. If you serve a master, according to these verses, you can expect a wage. You go to work tomorrow, are you working for free? No, you're expecting to be paid. And so if you are going to serve a master, well, uh, sin is a master. And guess what? Sin pays wages. For the wages of sin is what? It's death. That's what sin pays. There's pleasure in sin for a season. Look what James writes. He says, then when lust hath conceived... It bringeth forth sin, and when sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So watch this. Sin pays wages. The wages that sin pays is death. But watch this. God also pays wages. And the wages that God pays is holiness and everlasting life. Hey, folks, look, would you rather have death or would you rather have everlasting life? I'd say our life in Christ is much better than the life we were living as we were enslaved to our sin. And when you think about the old life, while we lived in the old life, we produce fruit that, according to these verses, made us ashamed. We're ashamed of our past. We're ashamed of the things that we've done before we knew Christ. But in the new life that we have with Christ, the Bible says we can produce fruit, and that fruit will glorify God and it will bring joy in our lives. I'm glad to see God working in many of your lives. It's, it, to me, it was a joy today just watching some of you being excited that some of your friends came uh, to see that they were here in church today. And I, I had people say, this is my husband, and uh, he had not been here before. It's just a wonderful thing to see fruit. And that's what happens when we yield our lives and we yield our wills to God so Romans chapter number six, great verse, because you know why? It teaches us how to die so that we can live, that we can live for the Lord. And now that we know these truths in Romans chapter number six, and we reckon them to be true in our lives, and then we yield ourselves to God. And let me give you one last thing that's helped me over the years 
And because all of this is getting into this section, Romans 6 tonight, Romans 7 next week, and Lord willing, Romans chapter number 8 the week after that. I want you to think about this matter of sanctification because justification has been dealt with in the book of Romans. We come to Romans 6, 7, and 8 dealing with sanctification. Let me give you the process of sanctification. Now, it's all because of God's grace. We sing that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. See, so write it down. Because of grace, I yield. Because of what God has done for me, I yield. And because I yield, I am free. I hope you understand that tonight. And because I am free, I serve. I serve. And because I serve, I bear fruit. And because I bear fruit, I am no longer ashamed. So when you go back to the beginning of Romans chapter number 6, the Bible says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And God says, what? God forbid. God says, listen, you're dead to sin. You should no longer serve sin. So we need to know, we need to reckon, and we need to yield ourselves to whatever God would have for our lives. Hey, listen, I hope you understand how wonderful the Christian life is all because of Jesus. There's a song, I can't think of all the words. I don't know if Brother Kenny's ever heard the song, but it's something like this. Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. Washed in the blood of Jesus, been born again. Anybody know that song? Brother Carl, you know that song? That's a great song. Brother Kenny, you know that song? You know that song? Sometime we need to sing that song. I hope you appreciate all that Jesus has done for you. We are free from sin, that we might serve the Lord. Let's stand this evening. As we stand, let's ask God to bless this week as we go out to serve Him. Lord, thank you for this wonderful day in your house. I pray that you would help us. Lord, may we know what we believe, what the Word of God teaches to be true. May you help us in our lives to reckon what is true and that we would live it out in our lives, that we would yield ourselves, that we might have favor from you, that we might have the freedom to serve you, and that there might be fruit in our life, fruit that remains. Lord, help us to no longer live in sin. God, help us to live a life that is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.